The last two weeks we have been awestruck by the example of the Ukrainian President Zelensky. He has been held up, quite rightly, as an example of a good leader. What really struck me was what happened when he became president. In Eastern Europe, it is the practice that you will have your portrait of the president in every single government office and school. And you will build up a cult of personality about yourself. East European leaders are all about me. But what did he say? I really don't want my picture in your office. For the president is not an icon, an idol, or a prophet. Have your kids' photos there instead. And look at them when you're making decisions. Coming from Eastern Europe, Zelensky is an example of an exceptional, extraordinary leader. But when we come to God's word from Matthew 26, we see an extraordinary, surprising king, King Jesus. Here is the king being anointed, but his anointing is most surprising. And I want us to see three things that strike me to be surprising in this passage. First, there's a surprising ascension. Jesus' ascension to the throne is a surprising one. Why? Because the sovereign one ascends to the throne via a cross. Where do we see his sovereignty? Well, we see it on every part of the first few verses of our passage. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, well, what did he mean saying? Jesus had been saying to his disciples that he would return in glory and power to judge all the nations. Here is the one who is king over all. And we see it in the verses that follow. We see it in the fact of his foreknowledge. He knows exactly what is going to happen and he is in control of it. He knows that after two days there will be a feast. And at the feast, he will be betrayed, he will be arrested, he will be condemned, and he will die. Jesus is sovereign over all things. And we see it not just in that, but in the way that he is the one who determines when he will die. In verse 2, he tells the disciples... He will die at the Passover. The chief priests say in verse 5, Oh no you won't. Because there will be an uproar, there will be a riot. So Jesus is far more sovereign than the religious authorities of his day. And of course his name shows his sovereignty. The Son of Man will be delivered up. The Son of Man, that which Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7. The one who came on the clouds and was given rule and authority over every kingdom and nation under the sun. Here is this great sovereign king and how will he ascend to his throne? 
by going to the cross and dying for sinners like us. By becoming a lamb to be slaughtered for sinners like us. That is how Jesus ascended to his throne. And what do we learn from it? We learn that God is in complete control of all things. Jesus' death is no tragic accident. No terrible ending of the life of a good man. It was the plan of God. The church says in Acts chapter 4 that the powers that be only did whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place. Jesus is Lord over presidents and generals, over fuel prices and food supplies. Jesus is Lord over every circumstance of your life. What a comfort. When everything seems to be out of control, not just in our world, but in our lives, we have one who is on the throne, who is in control of all things, and is bringing all things to one end. The salvation of millions and millions without number of men, women, and children bringing them into eternity to be with God in heaven. Jesus is on the throne as we speak and he is in control. However much we may doubt it or fear that he's not and all things are leading to that great day when a multitude without number will spend eternity with God in heaven. It also shows us how great the love of God is towards us. Love is a word that's almost devoid of, of meaning now. I love the dress you're wearing. I love haggis. I'm from a Scottish family, of course I do. I love Liverpool Football Club. Of course I do, it's the best club in the world. But love has no meaning today. But when we see the sinless Son of Man, the High King of Heaven, stretch out his hands willingly on the cross to die for our sins, then we see what love really is. The Apostle John says, In this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus goes to the cross here, willingly. He's not forced to do it. It's not the imposed will of God upon him. He gives himself for rebels like us. He takes the judgment that we deserve. He literally suffers hell on the cross for us. Every curse of God's law falls upon him and he cries out my God my God why have you forsaken me that is love and that love should leave us awestruck this afternoon are you struck with wonder love and praise when you see the love of God 
for you? Or have you lost your first love? Also tells us that the way to the throne is via the cross. Christ ascended to his throne by, by way of a cross. And that is true for his people also. We know from Revelation chapter 2 that we will reign as believers with him forever. But the way to glory is via the cross. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There is no Christianity without a cross. There is no glory without suffering. There is no heaven without sacrifice. There is no forgiveness of sins, relationship with God or eternal life for those who will not give up their all to follow Christ. Have you counted the cost? And have you forgotten the reward? The cross is that which every follower of Jesus has to take to come to glory. But the reward is always far greater than the sacrifice. So there's a surprising ascension. And then there's a surprising anointing. Kings and presidents are normally appointed with great pomp and ceremony. Not so Jesus. And a number of things stand out as surprising here in his anointing. There's its humility. That the, the anointing does not take place in a great capital city like Jerusalem. But in a tiny village like Bethany. It takes place not in a royal palace. But in the house of a leper. He is not anointed by by king or priest or ruler, he is anointed by a humble woman. We know from John's Gospel that it was Mary, the, the, the sister of Lazarus, who anointed him. John chapter 12. But we know also from literature that women were despised by the Jews. But it's a woman who anoints Jesus as king of God's kingdom. God delights to dwell with the humble. Isaiah 66 2. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. To know God, we must humble ourselves before him and confess that we are sinners and that we need his grace and his forgiveness desperately. There's no other way to come to God except by coming on your knees. So his humility is surprising and his extravagant love is, is surprising. Mary pours out this expensive perfume. It's been estimated that it's nearly a year's wages for a working man. Mary loves Christ so much that no cost is too high, no sacrifice so great, 
No gift too extravagant to give to Jesus. Great love should be met by great love. If Christ has loved us before the founding of the world, if he has loved us enough to die for us in our sakes, should we not love him greatly, extravagantly? Do you love him as Mary did? Are you willing to give Jesus your time, your talents, your money, your, your everything? Are you holding things back? Will you give Jesus Christ your all? It might seem like a great cost, but what was the reward for Mary? Jesus says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, what this woman has done will be remembered. And I'm preaching on it today, 2,000 years later. Her honour, her reward goes on and on and on through the generations. And when we give our all to Christ, our reward is eternal. Eternal. No price is too high to pay for King Jesus to show our love to him. It's also surprising the controversy that arises the disciples turn around to Mary and say, what a waste. What a waste of money. We could have given this to the poor. But who is the instigator? Again, we have to go to John's gospel to understand it. It's Judas. Judas is the one who speaks for the disciples. Judas is the one because he wants to pocket the proceeds of the sale of the perfume. But here's the shocking thing. Not that Judas does it, but that the rest of the disciples chime in and say, Amen, brother, preach it. What's shocking is that the disciples are completely off track. They do not understand this incredible, extravagant gift of worship. They look at Mary's sacrifice for Jesus and they say, oh, I should have, you should have been helping the poor. How often is God's work hindered by believers who think like the world, desire like the world, and act like the world? How often do we hinder God's work by having the same values, the same mindset as the unbelieving world around us? God forbid that we should ever be like these disciples and follow the world and worldly thinking and worldly values. There's also a surprising purpose to this anointing. When a king is anointed, you expect him to establish his kingdom. You expect him to do all that he can to establish himself as king and make his kingdom great. What does Jesus say in verse 12? In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for my burial. He is anointed to die. He is made king to go to the cross, to sacrifice 
himself for whom places have so much importance in the Gospels. And often we can read over details. Where is this taking place? In the house of Simon the leper. What were the lepers? Unclean before God. Christ has come to die for the unclean. People made unclean not by leprosy, but by sin. Have you come to him for the forgiveness of your sin? Third, there is a surprising reaction. You would think after this beautiful act of devotion that the disciples would all be applauding and saying, Bravo, well done, Mary. You would think they would come to Jesus as king and swear allegiance to him. What does Judas do? He departs, he speaks to the chief priests, and he strikes a bargain for 30 pieces of silver to betray him. Why 30 pieces of silver? It was the price to be paid when a slave was gored to death by an ox. In Exodus chapter 21 and verse 32, 30 pieces of silver was the compensation you gave to a master when his slave was gored to death by an oxen that's gone on the rampage. Imagine it. Jesus is betrayed for the, for the price of a slave. Judas's actions should challenge us in three ways. They challenge us as to whether we are truly believers or not. Judas heard all the same sermons as the rest of the disciples. Judas saw all the same miracles that they did. He even performed miracles in Jesus' name. But he was not a disciple of Jesus Christ. When push comes to shove, he shows his true colors, and his true colors are ugly. People can look like believers, say the right things, believe the right things, get involved in the right kind of activities, and yet be utterly unchanged on the inside. There will be many on that final day that will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord. And he will say, I never knew you. To be a Christian is not simply to accept facts about Jesus Christ. It is not about behaving a certain way. It's not about even coming to church and getting involved. It's about a new birth. It's about a supernatural work of God in your life. We can look like believers on the outside and be utterly unchanged on the inside. How do I know if I'm a believer? Check the manual. Check the Bible. Read through the book of 1 John and ask yourself, in all the things that the Apostle John is saying there, am I truly a believer of Jesus Christ? Because it would be a terrible thing 
if even one amongst us today should stand before Christ on judgment day and hear the words, I never knew you. But Lord, didn't I come to Town Church Vista? But Lord, didn't I serve? But Lord, didn't I teach the children about you? Didn't I give money to your work? I never knew you. Be sure that you are not like Judas, who looked like a disciple of Jesus on the outside, but was unchanged on the inside. It challenges us as to the true love of our hearts. When people are put under pressure, their true nature comes out. Through COVID, we've seen it. The pressure of lockdowns, of financial insecurity, of loved ones that we've been concerned about and heartbroken over. COVID has shown the reality of what's important to us. Jesus does that on a far greater scale. When Jesus is anointed king, what's important to Judas comes to light, and it's money. John's Gospel again gives us more of a picture of the fact he betrayed Jesus for the money. He loved money. His love was not Christ. It was money. Mary loved Christ extravagantly. Judas loves himself in an extraordinary way. To betray the Son of God for personal gain. He loved himself more than Christ. And when King Jesus comes and lays claim to parts of our lives, that shows who we really love or what. When he asks of your time, when he asks of your money, particularly if you're Scottish, <laughs> if he asks of your gifts and abilities, if he asks you to give up your dream for his mission, If he asks you to do his will, not what you have always desired, what will it show about your heart? When we're comfortable and unruffled, we say we'll do anything for Jesus. But will we? Really? Who do we really love? Him or ourselves? And Judas's actions challenge us as to where our loyalties lie. Mary is declaring in her act of pouring out oil upon Jesus that her allegiance is to this king. Judas proclaims his allegiance to himself. And that's why he betrayed Christ. Being a Christian is not just believing certain things from the Bible. It's not just saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. It is to commit yourself to Jesus Christ with your entire being. 
It is to give your love, your loyalty, your service, your all to King Jesus. The one passage that comes to me again and again is Psalm 2. In Psalm 2 you see God's anointed, the Messiah, the King, Jesus, being foreseen. And the psalmist says what? Kiss the sun. You can probably remember from films like Robin Hood or something. When a king is anointed, people would come up and they would kiss his hand. They would maybe kiss his signet ring. They would kiss him to say what? I'm your servant. My life is yours. My service, my loyalty, my love, my fealty is yours alone. And when the Bible says, kiss the sun, it's saying to us that Jesus Christ does not want an hour on a Sunday afternoon. He wants your all. Therefore, he is king. Give Jesus all that you are, all the time. Jesus Christ cannot be your saviour unless he is your king. He cannot rescue you from the wrath of God, from eternal hell, unless he is your king. Not in name. But in practice. You know in Albania we have. The portrait of the Prime, of the prime Minister. And the President in all of our offices. But rather like the Queen of England. It's just. A formal ceremonial thing. You look at the portrait of the Queen. She's head of state. But in name only. In practice it's the government that rules over the land. And so often Jesus Christ is like Queen Elizabeth, head of state in name only, but not in practice in our everyday lives. Jesus is king of all things. He is king of God's kingdom, and it is his right that we give our all to him. But we owe him that. Because this is simply the start of the story. He will go to the cross and suffer agony. Spiritual, physical, mental agony. To save us from our sins. We owe him our love. We are debtors to that love. And that love should claim all your life today. Shall we pray? Father, we humble ourselves before King Jesus today. We offer all that we have, all that we are, 
to you, to our King. And we ask, O oh God, to use us as you see fit. Lord, we give to you our love, our praise, our worship. We pray, O oh God, that you would not be our King in name alone, but in every area of our lives. Lord, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the King of all kings, for in his service there is life eternal. In his name we pray. Amen.